Whatever um, Hashem created in the world, He created in us. Whatever God created in the world, the Gemara says, He also created inside of us. And the reason He did is because the purpose of man is to elevate the world. And therefore there's a, there's a parallel. Whatever is inside of a human being, there's a parallel for that in the world. The Gemara lists a bunch of things you find in the world that's similar to the body of a person, similar to the soul of a person. Because our role over here is to, why Hashem sent our souls in this world, is to elevate the world. So therefore, we have something inside of us that's similar to the world. And just like most of us uh, haven't been to all the places in the world, and don't know about all the places in the world, um, so too in ourselves, there's a parts of ourselves that we know about, parts of ourselves that we don't know about. And it's, it's possible that we live with, with some dissonance between what we want to do, what we're actually doing, what we like to accomplish, what we're actually doing, uh, and, it, and a lot of it could be very well because we're not in touch with our, with our deeper selves. We're not in touch with, with our subconscious. And there's something in this week's Torah portion which um, gives a lot of uh, powerful message about that, about, about this experience. This Torah portion talks about um, the story of Eliezer. Hashem uh, blessed Avram and Sarah with a son Yitzchak, and Avram summons his son, his faithful servant, Eliezer, and he says to him, I want you to go and to find a wife for my son Yitzchak. So he tells him exactly where to go, and what family wants the wife to be someone from Avram's family. So Eliezer agrees, but he says to Avram, what happens if I find this person and she doesn't want to come? Maybe we should look somewhere else. So Avram says, no, don't look anywhere else. You will find, you will take a wife for my son Yitzchak from the place I'm sending you, and this is going to work. So Eliezer goes off, and when he arrives, um, he arrives by a well, and he makes a prayer, a beautiful prayer, and he says to Hashem, um, when the uh, next woman arrives, I'm going to ask her if she would uh, give me some water, and if she offers water to me and to my camels, I know this is the one that is chosen for my master's uh, son, Yitzchak, this is, this, this is the right shidduch. Because that's a sign that she's kind, and therefore she fits in with the family of Avram, also kind. So, uh, no sooner that he say this prayer, before he finished the prayer, Rivka arrives, and, and Rivka, he asks Rivka, can I have some water? She says, of course, and she gives water to him and water to the camels, and she is indeed from the family of Avram, and he goes to her house to meet her parents, to meet Besuel, and he tells them about his mission, tells them about the promise that Aram made him take, that he would take someone from, this, from his family, from this place. And, and, as soon as, and as soon as I said this prayer, she arrives. So the soil and, uh, and uh, they, they say, love and they say, we can't, we can't say yes, we can't say no, it's clearly something from God. And they agree, and, and she goes off and she uh, marries, um, marries uh, um, Yitzchak. And the Torah says that when she did marry Yitzchak, Sarah, when Sarah was alive, many miracles happened in the house of Aram. When they lit the candles on Friday night, it lasted a whole week. There was a blessing in the dough. There was a cloud around the tent. And when, when Sarah passed away, it all stopped. When Rivka married Yitzchak, it all returned. Um, Rebbe pointed out that Rivka was only three years old at the time. And that a child should begin to light Shabbos candles from the same age as Rivka, from the age of three. So I want to point out that there 
did say it doesn't, you don't have to actually be three years old exactly. If you're old enough to say the bracha, grace already like the Shabbos candles. Um, the, um, the, the, uh, my sister-in-law, um, my mother-in-law wrote to the Rebbe that uh, my daughter is able to light Shabbos candles. She's writing, I don't know, two and a half how old she was. Rebbe wrote back, Yair Mazal, her mazal should shine. So as soon as a, as a child is able to light the Shabbos candles, in some way, it's, it's a great thing. Um, to say the bracha, uh, it's a blessing. And, and something about the gift of a woman lighting the Shabbos candles that surpasses Avram. Avram is already, you know, 100 years old, he's at Tzadik, and yet he couldn't achieve what Rivka could achieve. And they've actually said that although, when we light Shabbos candles, it goes out, still there's something spiritual that stays in the house all week. Just like when Sarah lit the candles, it lasted physically all week, so that the house is affected all week when a woman lights Shabbos candles. I actually just saw this guy, he wrote the Rebbe, you know, you made this a campaign about lighting Shabbos candles. Why don't you write about single men also lighting Shabbos candles? The Rebbe responded, it's better to go to a home where a woman lights Shabbos candles. Uh, that, that, that's even though he's a single man, it's, it's better for him that he is in a home on Shabbos. Yes, he has light candles at home, but he should still uh, make an effort to be in a home where a woman lights Shabbos candles. There's something about that, that that just affects everyone who's there, and even not when you're there, just the whole week. Anyway, so getting back to Eliezer. So Eliezer, he is he makes this oath to Avram and he goes and does this mission. And there's there's a nuance. There's a letter the Torah doesn't write. It's a very long, long story. The Torah dedicates a few verses to creation, a few verses to uh, the Ten Commandments, and this is like the long and this is like one of the longest things the Torah does. The Torah is very economic when it comes to words and letters. The Torah gives us the mitzvah of tefillin, for example. The Torah says you should bind it as a sign on your arm and between your eyes, and from that one line we learn many laws. We learn that how, how um, which arm you're supposed to put a tefillin on, and where you're supposed to put it between your eyes on your where is it supposed to be exactly. We learn many, many laws just from one verse of the Torah. The Gemara says that Rabbi Kiva can learn many laws from a crown of letter in the Torah. And here there's about 90 verses dedicated to this story. The Torah says what happens to Eliezer. The Torah says how he spoke to Avram. The Torah says how he repeated the whole story. The Torah repeats the whole story again. So it says the whole story about two and a half times. And yet the Torah is, says, says more about Eliezer's mission than it does about creation. More than it says about the Ten Commandments. More than it says about so many other stories. And the question is, what's so special about this? So Rabbi Acha says... The Talmud, he says, it is greater, more precious, or right word is, it's more beautiful. The, um, the, the speech of the servants of our patriarchs than the Torah of their children. Because many laws of Torah are, are learned from just one letter. But this story, the Torah goes all out. Let's hear more about the story. Tell, say it again. Say it a third time. And the question is, why is, that so, why is it so beautiful, this speech? Why is it called beautiful? I mean, you could say Speech is not, the, the word, the first adjective is, is not necessarily the word beautiful. The Torah uses the word beautiful. And also, why the Torah say um, the servants of the, of the patriarchs, their speech, the word that the Torah uses also, there are many ways of, of using for speech in Hebrew. There's Dibor, there's, there's Amira. Here the Torah uses the word Sichasan. What's, what's significant about that word specifically? So, we're going to look at one, there's many, many things about the story. Many, many things. This story is, as the Svasema says, is not just a story. This is a story, story about, the, about the continuation, the destiny of Jewish people. This is about how Abram's son found a wife and thus continued the Jewish people. So his mission is really all the mission of each of us. And this, his story is our story. Svasema says that you can find a map for your life story, what you need to do, by his, by his map, by his story. That This is like a mirror we're supposed to take 
and, and learn something from in our lives in a day-to-day level. So one, let's take one thing that Torah doesn't say, one letter Torah skips, which can give us huge insight and really change our lives in an amazing way. Um, when Eliezer is telling Besuel about his mission, he mentions how he swore to Avram that uh, he asked Avram, what should I do if the woman doesn't want to come? The Hebrew word he used was ulai. Ulai means maybe. When the Torah writes the word ulai, the Torah doesn't write it as maybe. The Torah writes it without the letter vav, so it spells the word elai. Elai means to me. So Rashi says that Eliezer, he um, was saying to Avram, I have a better idea. You want to find a wife for your son Yitzchak? You know that I actually have a daughter. So why don't you think about my daughter? That's what, that's what Eliezer wanted to do. He said, Eli, uh, Ulai was what he said. Eli was what he was thinking. The Chidah says that in the Torah you have the written word and you have the way it's read. And those are two realms, two worlds. There is the hidden world, the way it's written, and there is the um, manifest world, which is the way it's, the way it's read. And in Eliezer, there's what he was thinking, what he was feeling, what he wanted, and what he said. So what he wanted was that his daughter should marry Yitzhak. What he said was, well, maybe this won't work out. He really wanted to find a way that it shouldn't work out so that his daughter could marry, could marry Yitzhak. <laughs> Interesting, though, is that the Torah doesn't mention the maybe thing. The Torah, the, the Torah only skips the letter Vav when he's telling Besuel, Rivka's father, about what he said to Avram. In the actual words of Eliezer to Avram, he uses the word maybe with the vav. In other words, first he says to Avram, maybe she won't come with me. And to Besuel, he says in a different way, I wanted, her, I wanted my daughter to marry, to marry uh, uh, Yitzchak. So if he thought of this, if this was what he wanted, why didn't, he think, why didn't the Torah say this before when he's speaking to Avram? So one explanation is, Eliezer was thinking, you know what, I'm just a servant over here. I'm a slave. He is, uh, is Avram. He's much better. He's higher level. But then when he met Avram's family, which were pretty, uh, their behavior left so much to be desired, he's like, you know what? My daughter can measure up to their daughter any day of the week. So that's why, that's why he said, at this point, when he met their family, he's like, she grew up in this household. These people, they weren't very nice people. He says, that's when he suddenly said, you know, this was, this was actually not, not such a bad idea. That's one interpretation. So I said, this is a much deeper interpretation, which I want to focus on. He says, Eliezer himself didn't realize himself that he had a motive over here that was upsetting his mission. He didn't realize when he was speaking to Avram, in front of Avram, he was the Hoda to Avram, Avram is his master, Avram is his tzaddik, he felt like Avram like his father. He didn't feel his own selfish motives at that time. When he's far away from Avram, his house, the soil, there he suddenly noticed, you know what? I didn't want this to work. He didn't realize he didn't want it to work the whole time, but he didn't. A friend of mine took a group to visit the um, gas chambers in Poland, and he, they went to, um, they had to stay at some house, and there was an elevator. And uh, one of the people that was on this trip refused to go in the elevator. And they didn't understand why he was refusing. And they, and they said, you know, come, we'll go together. No, I'm not going in the elevator. Why don't you want to go in the elevator? I'll hold your hand, we'll go together. What is it about the elevator? And he couldn't say what, what it was. He didn't know what it was. Apparently, something happened to him when he was younger, something with an elevator, something that, that, that happened to him, or, or he, what he himself does not know, that locked him up, that prevented him from 
from uh, going in the elevator. He, and he himself doesn't even know today why he doesn't want to go in the elevator. He couldn't even express, he couldn't say there's a reason. He just wouldn't go, he just was afraid of the elevator. Similar way, this never happens, but just for uh, the purpose of the class, it's possible in a very rare occasion that a wife makes a remark to her husband, a remark that uh, the husband, that sounds critical. Never happens, right? It's not possible that a... Oh, right. And, and, and also, equally as rare, uh, or more rare, is that the husband responds to the remark, and he says, and he's insulted. He's insulted. She makes a remark about something that's critical. Yes, that's even more rare. Even more rare, right? <laughs> uh, okay. Never ever happens. So, so Why um, is it more? I'm being facetious. Anyway, so, uh, so, so, so the husband gets, gets, gets. He responds and he says something that you, you're putting me down. Whenever I'm around you, you put me down. The husband responds. He gets angry. The husband doesn't doesn't take it lightly. He says, "You always make me feel bad around you." You, you're, are you better than me? The husband gets angry. He loses control, and he and he responds and he and he yells at her, yells at her, and she just wanted to connect with him. She just wanted to point something out to him. It's possible that she said it in the wrong tone. It's possible the tone of voice she used was condescending, and so and so he may have taken it the wrong way, justifiably. But that's not really what's going on. What's really going on is that he doesn't have in himself a healthy. Um, self-esteem. The real, help, the real meaning of self-esteem is you value your neshama, you value your soul, you know that you are a part of God, that you are an ambassador of God to bring to the world Hashem's light and Hashem's truth and Hashem's word, warmth and holiness. That's who you are. So the husband doesn't feel that. The husband's looking at past events in his life, he's looking at past business deals that he took and how they didn't work out and he feels like he's a loser and so his wife's uh, slight remark to him, it lit him up. It exposed something. It, 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 it shook him off of where he was and put him in a place he didn't want to go. And, and he, 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 she doesn't know why there's such a strong response. He doesn't really know either. But because of his looking at himself so low, with such a low, low self-esteem, that's why he just lit up his, this, his anger and rage because of his own self-view as, as, as a failure as, or something else. So, I mean, there was a guy named Adam Baruch. Adam Baruch left his um, yeshiva um, upbringing lifestyle and he was trying to figure out doing some soul searching, what was it that made him decide he doesn't want to be religious anymore? And he remembered that the, the, a certain event that he realized this is what this is what did this thing. He said that he was by a wedding. No, it was Purim. It was Purim. Everyone was dancing. And the Rosh Hashiva of his Yeshiva sees the way he's dancing. I'm sorry, it wasn't Purim. It was Simchas Torah. The Simchas Torah. dancing with the Torah. And his Rosh Hashiva says to him, for the Torah that you have studied, you've danced quite enough for it. The amount of Torah you studied, you, you should have been done dancing a long time ago. And he realized that that's what, that's what set him off. I know, I met someone recently, I met someone more recently who was studying, who studied in Chabad Yeshiva, unfortunately, someone that you know well, but, but the point was this person, he said he was learning and davening in Yeshiva, and someone said to him, you know, you're davening, davening in general, if you don't know what the words mean, it's not called davening. And, and he was like very into his davening. He was very proud of his davening. And that really like, like, like punctured a hole in his whole being. I'm not really davening. This is really, because I don't, I don't know what all the words mean. So for him, that really like, like set him off. And, and so he has a hard time today, like looking at his theremitsis and, 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 and valuing them. And feeling that he has value to do them. So in a similar way, there are people who look for a shidduch. Look for a long time for a shidduch. 
And it's very, it's very, it's very possible. A person looking for shidduch, the reason it's having such a hard time, or she's having such a hard time, is because of her own parents, because of the, the discord that they had. And he doesn't, they're afraid of the same thing happening to them. They don't even know themselves why this is going on. But that's going on inside of them because of or our, your children. You talk to your children. Beheller told us in Kolel, he said, sometimes a father could say something to a child, and he said, it's the right words, and it's the right idea, but the tone of voice he uses could, uh, could hurt the child. And it's not that parents want to hurt the child. The parents love their children. They want to do the best for their children. Their parents don't even have necessarily the, the, the awareness that they're doing something that's hurting the child while they're saying it. What, and what's going on in the parents is that there's subconscious things that have happened to the parents. People think that Freud invented the subconscious. It's not true. The Torah talks about the subconscious in many, many places. The Torah talks about different layers in, our, in who we are. And it's possible that the parent says the wrong word to the child because of the parent's own insecurities and they're projecting it on, on the child. So we, there's things that are going on in our lives that control us that we don't necessarily necessarily aware of. I know a guy who um, who was in the stock market and he told me that he is an expert in his field. I have no reason to believe he's not. Um, I know that every good, uh, I know that writers, good writers are, are, are proud of their work and they have, to be a good writer you have to be arrogant, maybe to be a good stockbroker you have to be doing too, I don't know. Anyway, so he says though what he does is Whenever he, he, he says, there's some, there's some voice, he says he always like makes a bad move or like a wrong right turn right before there's an amazing deal. He says that he, in himself, he feels this thing like, you don't deserve this. You don't deserve this. And, and that's what makes him make this wrong turn. You may have heard the story about Raymond Manasriman. He was here. He said the story also. He said that he was um, asked by this rabbi to speak to a woman who lost her son at 10 years old, her old son. And this woman was like, like she didn't want to talk to anybody after she lost her son. Make a long story short, uh, we spoke to her, and she was describing who her son was. She was like, to him, she was like totally dead. She was not alive at all. She, she, she didn't cry. She didn't experience any emotion when she lost her son. And after she lost her, and after the conversation goes on for a while, um, so he, he said to her, if God would have asked you that you could have this child for, for 20 years, such an amazing son that you had, what would you have said? She said, I would have said no. So most people would have said no, but most people would have said yes, but she said no. So he said to her, it's a good thing you didn't, he didn't ask you. And when he said that, all of a sudden, she came back to life. Because he saw her coming back. Rabbi Friedman speaks all over the world for, for, for decades and decades. And this was the most amazing moment in his whole career of talking to people. He said he saw her come back to life. Started to cry. Why was she crying? She was crying and crying because she realized that all of her angst and frustration wasn't about God. It was about her own ego. We can't judge anybody. She went to such a, such, such a horrible, you know, such a terrible tragedy. But really, but to herself, she realized this wasn't about God. This was about herself. That she, her ego, and, and it wasn't about, because God wanted this man to come to this world. And she would rather this guy doesn't come to the world, at least she, have, she shouldn't have to suffer. She wasn't being herself, which was a mother. She wasn't, she wasn't being the mother that she was meant to be. So, on the one hand, there is an automatic force in the subconscious, which is it's worth looking at how to, how to invest in it, because that automatic force is something which can help us a lot in life. I know this family um, had health issues. They asked Rebbe for a bracha, for, for the health issues, and Rebbe said they should be more careful in their, in their observing kosher, then specifically, they should make sure not to eat the fruit of Shemitah. This year is the year after Shemitah, and sometimes you find in the market fruits that are from Shemitah. And from Israel, you're not supposed to eat them. 
So they wrote back to the Rebbe, so we have only kosher products in our house. Which product isn't good? Which, which kosher authority isn't good? You, you, you're not like the OU or the OK or the best. The Rebbe says, serve Hashem with joy. Joy breaks boundaries. Including the boundaries that people make mistakes, everyone makes mistakes. That boundary, human beings make mistakes, that will go away if you serve Hashem with joy. You'll be able to figure out the right things to do, in other words. That will, that will, that will strengthen your subconscious. But conversely, in a more down-to-earth way, joy definitely builds us up and, and allows the best in ourselves to come, come out. What was amazing with Eliezer was, was that he realized what was, what was the issue. He realized what was going on inside of him. And it, that's what the Torah says, it was beautiful, the speech of the servant of, 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 the servant of, of our patriarchs, Abraham. Why does the Torah use the word sichasan? Sichasan means not your well-thought, deliberate speech. Sichasan means your nonchalant, spontaneous conversation. He realized in his nonchalant, spontaneous conversation that he had a real issue with his mission. And he, he didn't um, shy away from it, despite the fact that, he, that deep down he didn't want to do the mission. Instead of him turning away from this voice inside of him, that actually evoked in him a strong response. Well, I'm going to do this mission. Avram is my father. Avram's mission, he's a tzaddik. This mission is important. Despite all of my, my own selfish interest of this not being successful, I'm going to go. So he responded to that voice inside of him with an overwhelming desire to do the mission that he was sent on. So in a similar way, if we could locate things in our lives that are setting us off, that are making us react in certain ways, whole worlds would open for us. We, we, we wouldn't respond the same way that we may do till now because we'll realize it's, it's, it's a lot of stuff that we do. It's possible. We get angry when something happens. It's possible there's something in ourselves that is calling that out, which isn't really proportionate to, to what's going on. Eliezer himself, the Torah praises him in such a way that the Torah doesn't praise anybody else. The Torah says about Eliezer, um, you know who Eliezer's father was? Mm-hmm. Eliezer's father was Nimrod. Imagine, educated by such a father. What do you think he learned from his father? The guy who, was, who wanted to kill Avram, he was the king of the world, he was a horrible person. He's brought up in such, such a, 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 a house, and yet, the Torah says, look at the beauty of his speech. Despite whatever thing was going on inside of him, he was able to summon the desire, the mission has, to, the resolve, I can do this. And I want to do this. The, Tal- the Talmud says, if someone tells you, I tried and I haven't been successful, don't believe them. Someone says, I haven't tried and I've been successful, don't believe them either. Someone said, I've tried and I've been successful, believe them. That was the beauty of Eliezer, the beauty of his speech. The beauty is created by contrast. On the one hand, he doesn't want to do the, the mission. He has something else. He has this ulterior motive. On the other hand, despite the ulterior motive, he, did, he responds to the ulterior motive and says, no, I, I know where this is coming from. And I know, and I know what, what I really want. Eliezer, his name became very famous. Moshe Rabbeinu named his son after Eliezer. Uh, Eliezer is the name of Moshe Rabbeinu's second son. Eliezer um, reincarn- was reincarnated as Kalev. Kalev was the, uh, one of the two spies who did not follow the 12 spies who um, came back on Tishabav and told the Jewish people, we cannot enter Israel. The one who was faithful to Moshe Rabbeinu was Kalev. That was the reincarnation of Eliezer. Um, so he was able to leave his natural persona and go away from whatever he was used to, leave his upbringing of his father, of Nimrod, and yet to, and yet to, to, to be on target. He's one of the ten people, the Talmud says, that, went, that came to heaven alive. There are ten people in history that made it to heaven alive. His face looked like Avraham. That's why when he came to the house, they said, come blessed of God. When he came to the house, they thought he was Avraham because his face looked like Avraham's face. So his, his, the, the key to an issue, often, when we're experiencing an issue, very often the key to the issue is not how to solve the issue. The key to the issue is 
is to know where it's coming from and so what our reaction to it. I, I uh, heard today amazing, amazing teaching about the following verse. I'll leave you with this. It says in Jewish people at the, at the Reed Sea, Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, the way you've seen the Egyptians, you will no longer see them again. Forever. You'll never see them again. So what he said to them was, deep, deeper meaning what he said to them was, in order not to see the Egyptians again, you have to look at them once. You have to know what you have to know. You have to know what it is that's that's causing you to stay in your limitation. You have to know what's causing you to react the way you're reacting. If you look at them and you're aware of this Eli, like Eliezer, he was aware that I have this this inhibition. I have this selfish motive. I have something which is taking me away from what I really want to do. If you're aware of that, it opens the whole world. Then you respond to your children, to your spouse, to your friends, to events, all differently, knowing that there's something that's there inside of you that 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 may be drawing you to. Uh, to uh, the direction that you're not uh, back to Egypt, but the way to get out of Egypt, we adaptations by looking at the Egyptian and know, and being aware of uh, where where things can get derailed. Bottom line is, Jim blesses us this week to learn from Eliezer, the, his mission, which is the mission of the Kanga Mashiach, the mission of all of us to, uh, which is uh, why we're going tonight, going to Mr. Shem to the conference of Chabad rabbis in New York, mission of the Rebbe to bring Mashiach, and we're empowered this week to. Uh, to move away from the AI, move away from the inhibition, to create something beautiful, to create something amazing, that you know where, where, where you naturally are being pulled, and you say, no, I'm, I, I know what I want. L'chaim. L'chaim. L'chaim.